This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello and welcome or welcome back to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist and I've lived and worked in Fayetteville, Arkansas for over 30 years. I'm so glad you're here. First of all, fantastic news. Very Well Mind has ranked Self Work in the top 10 podcasts for depression for 2023. Thank you so much to Very Well Mind. So thank all of you for listening and telling your friends and spreading the word. Today I'm going to feature a question I got quite recently about how I'm using the word vulnerability. It's a great comment and question. I love constructive criticism, and so I'll answer it and more. The second voicemail question today is about enmeshment. This is from a reader of my website, one of the blog posts there. What do you do when your family and your culture demand that you stay close to their expectations? So we'll dig into that as well. Athletic Greens has a great product and a fabulous offer for you. So let's hear from this sponsor who helps me bring you self-work, AG1. What better time than now to decide that you're going to do something for yourself in 2023 that will only add to your sense of well-being, where you can begin every single day with an act of true self-care, Not a bubble bath, not even a therapy session, but by drinking one glass full of 75 high-quality minerals, vitamins, probiotics, adaptogens, and whole food source superfoods, which support everything from your gut to your immune system to your energy level. I use it every day and love this habit because if you're like me, self-care can get lost in a day full of kids, work, meals, and whatever else comes along. AG1 knows that people who listen to self-work are seeking to make their lives better. So Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five travel packs with your first purchase. Become your own green machine in the first hour you're up and around. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash self-work. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash self-work to take ownership of your health in 2023 and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. My favorite things about doing self-work is answering your questions and hearing your comments and your perspectives. Think about it for a minute. All we have as people is our perspective. You can call it truth if you need to, but your perspective of yourself, of others, of the world are absorbed from your family and your culture and really many things. We make decisions based on that perspective. We agree or disagree with others based on that perspective. We get mad or feel happy based on that perspective. Just because I'm the one behind the microphone here (laughs) doesn't mean I can't be limited by my own perspective. I'm aware of that as a therapist and a person every day. So this listener is questioning and disagreeing with me about how I'm using the word vulnerability. But this isn't an episode about word usage, not at all, because how you define vulnerability for yourself will alter whether you see being vulnerable as bad or a weak thing, or you see it much more positively. 
She made her point respectfully and gave me food for thought, and I'd encourage any of you to do the same. Let's first hear what this listener had to say. Hi, I'm Dr. Margaret. I'm wondering why you refer to vulnerability as kind of uh, admitting sort of a flaw as opposed to being honest. I view vulnerability as the ability to have an open heart and to communicate in a genuine and sincere fashion. And so when you talk about the gifts of vulnerability and you speak of insight into our strengths and weaknesses, it confuses me a little bit because I I disagree, I suppose, with um, the fact that vulnerability is uh, somehow a window to our flaws. Vulnerability can, in fact, be a window to our strengths and our power, our personal power. As this listener was talking, I was nodding my head in agreement because my actual own use of the word vulnerability has been very studied on my part, meaning that I've carefully chosen it and for very specific reasons, which I'll go into in a bit. Vulnerability is one of those words that, for me, holds a lot of meanings, as does being vulnerable. Let's look at the actual definition according to online dictionaries, which show, interestingly enough, two distinct definitions that appear side by side when you Google that term. Here's one. Dictionary.com's first definition is, and I quote, willingness to show emotion or to allow one's weaknesses to be seen or known. Willingness to risk being emotionally hurt. End of quote. That's what this listener means when she's choosing to be vulnerable in her relationship because she believes, as do I, that it's healthy and helpful. Now, we look at Merriam-Webster, also an online dictionary, and they agree with Dictionary.com's definition, but then they add something. And I quote again, Vulnerability is the capability of being physically or emotionally wounded and open to attack or damage. Assailable. Now, Before you stop listening and say, why in the hell is this important? Hear me out. The reason why it's important is that your own definition, the way you understand vulnerability or the word vulnerability, can alter the way you think about it. And that alters how you talk about it and choose to do it or not. Your definition leads to your perception. Either you can see vulnerability as a positive thing, a choice to share a confidence or a secret, to choose to be open emotionally or sexually or any way really, or you can perceive vulnerability as, again, the capability of being assailable or as a capability of being hurt. Then what are you going to do? You're sure going to circle the wagons and not express or show any kind of vulnerability at all because you're in danger. You're vulnerable. There's a weakness in your defenses that you've got to shore up or someone will hurt you or get the better of you. That's a huge difference that I hope that you can hear. Vulnerability as choice and vulnerability as the capability of being hurt. So, why have I repeatedly used the term vulnerability when I could have said weakness? I talk all the time about my working definition of self-acceptance. 
and here I'm quoting myself, neither your strengths nor your vulnerabilities define you any more than the other. So I told you before, my use of the word vulnerability is kind of studied, meaning I've given it a lot of thought to why I'm using that word. Why not just go on and call it weakness? It's not because I'm scared of the word or somehow I want to dumb things down or pretend or disregard that we all have weaknesses. That's not it at all. So what do you think? Take a little time to consider. Is your natural inclination to think of being vulnerable as a positive choice or a frightening position to be in? Before I say more about my own thoughts, let's hear from Ozark Mountain Medicine's CBD. If you've been thinking about trying CBD, they have some of the best, if not certainly, the best buy for your buck. When life gets busier with what can at times seem overwhelming, you want to have as many coping mechanisms at your fingertips as you can. For me, Ozark Mountain Medicine's CBD products are the best way I've found to soothe my own aching muscles. Instead of only one form of CBD, there are 16 varieties in OMM's products. Simply knowing I can reach for it gives me relief. What's most important is that it works. I've been told at least three times in my lifetime that I needed to be assessed for back surgery. And three times, I've kept walking, getting massage, and steadfastly using this product. You can take it orally in tincture form or a calming salve, which is what I prefer. That's also available. And there are other benefits of taking such a high-quality CBD, including immune support, increased relaxation, reduced anxiety, and improved sleep. So here's Ozark Mountain's fabulous offer for self-work listeners. All you have to do is use this promo link, ozarkmountainmedicine.com slash selfwork, and you'll receive 10% off your order. I never suggest a product to you that I haven't used myself, and I reap this one's benefits each and every day. Again, that code is ozarkmountainmedicine.com slash selfwork. Sometimes the best solutions are right under your nose. So try a bit of Ozark Mountain Medicine CBD and see for yourself. Welcome back. Some of you who've been listening to self-work for a while may know what my answer to the question we asked before the break might be. How am I naturally inclined to think of vulnerability as a choice that's positive or a way of being that's frightening or shameful and needs to be protected or defended against? The whole point of my choosing to use the words vulnerability and weakness interchangeably is to show that I think of vulnerability itself as having two distinct facets. I basically think both of them are right. There's the side that's more about transparency or openness. It's a choice to be open, to choose to share your own struggles or what you're experiencing in a relationship. And that choice can be a tremendous way to grow your relationship, your intimacy, and yourself in the process. So I couldn't agree more with the listener. But I also think of the term vulnerability as meaning to be aware or even be very guarded and defensive about aspects of ourselves that we have shame or fear about others knowing or seeing. That kind of vulnerability does not feel like a choice. It's created by what happened to us or sometimes our own actions, our weaknesses, our mistakes. Things that can happen to you include abuse, poverty, a divorce, a rape being bullied or hurt because of the color of your skin or the religion you follow. With those things, we feel as if we need to protect ourselves from being hurt again. 
Now, sometimes those vulnerabilities are things we did to ourselves or to someone else. Mocking someone, hurting someone, abusing alcohol, intentionally doing someone else or something else harm. Those are your vulnerabilities as well. Because as much as you may act as if you don't give a rat's ass, as my father used to say, about who knows about them, basically, your hiding your vulnerabilities reveals how much fear you actually have. And you take on a predatory role. You hurt others before they can hurt you. The worst case scenario here is if there's true sociopathy, where you really don't care who you hurt. But that's another topic. Probably not too many people that pride themselves on hurting others listen to a podcast on mental health. But maybe you are, maybe you do. And I want to say that some of the meanest people, some of the most cruel people I've worked with over the years, they've been terribly hurt themselves. But they would never think that revealing those vulnerabilities might help. So, back to the listener's point. And I want to mention the title of this episode is, is vulnerability a good thing or a bad thing? I think it's neither good nor bad. It has simply two different meanings. It can be a huge positive, a goal whose achievement can lend itself to much deeper friendships and relationships. Knowing that someone really knows you well, all of you, and loves all of you, and you love them, that kind of being known is the best part of a really great relationship. So there's vulnerability that can be life-affirming, and feels like a choice. And then there's vulnerability that's frightening or shameful, and you can feel as if it needs to be hidden or defended against. Isn't it interesting that the solution to that kind of fear is to come to believe that you don't need to defend yourself and that you can actually be transparent, and that's the solution to that fear. But that takes a lot of trust, a whole lot of trust. I've had the honor recently of speaking to several groups of mostly guys who are construction workers. There's some women in the crowd. That occupation has one of the highest suicide rates of any occupation. Why? There are a number of factors. But one of the major ones is this attitude of invulnerability. I don't need help from anyone. I don't talk about nothing. They tend to believe that vulnerability is a bad thing. Their job is dangerous, very hard physically, and they count on each other day in and day out to keep one another safe. So they form quite a bond, but they don't tend to talk about their mental or emotional struggles, like addiction, like sadness, like grief. So why am I there to speak to them? One of the huge trends in that field, partly due to the very high suicide rate, is to begin to talk more openly about problems, about those weaknesses about fears or struggles, about alcohol or other substances. I heard one guy talk the other day about the dad wounds that he was encouraging his workers to talk about. And it's actually working. People are coming forward. People who have this attitude of nothing could hurt me, and yet something has hurt them. Okay, so why did I mention all that? Here's my point. If you believe something to be your weakness, your Achilles heel, the thing that either happened to you or that you did that you believe you'd be judged or rejected for, if you take the risk, if you open up about that and develop a sense of choice, I'm choosing to open up about it, then that can give you a sense of true power over yourself. Here's what I hope is a decent example. 
I'm horrible at waiting in lines. I don't like to stand. I get kind of panicked in crowds of people. I get antsy. So I can act impatiently because I feel anxious. It's not a strength of mine. I think I've talked about this on self-work before. My son will kid me about that or sometimes say, Mom, take a breath. If I've realized and accepted my anxiety around waiting and my fear, I can laugh when he chides me a bit. I don't have to defend myself because I've chosen to be vulnerable and admit my impatience, and I can laugh with him. And yet, if I'd hidden my impatience, my vulnerability, my weakness, if I saw it as a way of being that I didn't want anyone to see, that I needed to look like it didn't bother me at all to wait, then I might snap at my son much more readily. Get off my case. I'm fine. I have to defend what I don't want others to see or know about. I have to hide that vulnerability. So I hope you can hear that. Perhaps this example in its simplicity will give you an example of how the two ways of understanding vulnerability interact. A huge part of the message of perfectly hidden depression is that the secrets we keep The vulnerabilities in our armor that we know that we have and yet feel as if they need to be hidden, it can be very freeing and empowering to make a choice to reveal them, to do as the listener suggests, to be more and more comfortable with transparency and openness. It's amazing how much fear that that openness can create, but I see it every day. People making the choice to risk being vulnerable as they are transparent about the things they believe are their mistakes. Again, their vulnerabilities. And you can do it as well. Thanks so much to this listener. Speak pipe message from drmargaretrutherford.com. This one is from someone whose parents and culture demand that his life and his choices stay underneath their control. Hello, um, from Jordan. I have been like all my life enmeshed through my relationship with my father and my parents, I mean, my mother and family, I mean. It's a quite so depressing and I felt exactly every single thing you said in this uh, article where I could never feel myself. I always felt guilty for just wanting to live as individual, to live independently as an adult. Now I'm 30 years old and so annoyingly, I still have these emotions within me. I'm trying just to get rid of these emotions as fast as possible. I just want to live my life free from these chains my father and mother and family put on me as a child, as a teenager, as even as an adult. It's just like something I can't, I should accept. And I really want uh, your help in this. I really would love to know more information how to break the cycle of enmeshment. Enmeshment is so tense and it's something not helpful for my life, not helpful to be who God wanted me to be, I mean, to fulfill my calling in life. I mean, it's just something like I can't handle, it's too much. In trying to answer this question, I'm very aware that I've conducted an interview and read more about Arab families and a woman's role within it than I have the male role. I also don't know from what this man says if this family has migrated to a Western culture or if they remain in Jordan. So, I'm answering the question with some very basic ideas. I wish I had time to research Jordanian culture, but I simply don't. What is perhaps most important to note is that enmeshment itself, the dynamic of there being very loose, if non-existent, boundaries in families, where individuality isn't seen as a goal, where members of the family are raised 
in a, from a Western viewpoint, far less of an open system, but one that is closed and where family ties and loyalty are paramount. It's not that there are not these kinds of families found in Western culture. There are. But there are huge distinctions between cultures as far as what the meaning of family is and how children emerging from those families are encouraged or discouraged from leaving the family. Not just physically leaving, but creating an identity away from the families. This man has found anger and feelings that he wants to rid himself of, and I can hear his anguish as he realizes whether the family has left Jordan or not, that he has changed, but his family has not. Certainly, his father has not. And he remains feeling governed by his father's expectations of him. But he's mad. If the family has migrated to a more Western culture, this young man may have had his feelings fueled by what he sees around him, perhaps his education introduced him to Western culture, or perhaps he's simply someone looking for answers in another culture, the Western culture. I wish I could tell him I know the answers to his questions. The question he seems to be inferring in his message is this, how do I leave this family and live my life more independently? Do I have to give them up? Will I be forever estranged from them? Is there a way to change my family? I can't tolerate the feelings I have now, and I have this albeit Western word enmeshment to explain the way I feel, but what do I do now? Susan Canoe, that's K-A-N-O-O, is from Bahrain, and I interviewed her shortly after the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan was seen throughout the world. No matter what your political views, certainly you could just see how difficult it was for many people. She's an author, and I read her book, interviewing her afterward. The link will be in your show notes. It's episode number 263. She's the only person I know that could speak to this young man about his feelings. Her own father was initially very against her doing things that were to him unseemly or disrespectful to the family. But she gradually began to change her own family, tiny step by tiny step. So I'd encourage this young man to reach out to her, Susie Canoe, and talk with her. She's probably been in touch with many others who feel just like he does. Perhaps more women, but I would imagine also men. And perhaps she can mentor him or find someone to do just that, who can help him understand on a much deeper level than I can just what's at stake. Even in our Western culture, the cost of leaving a highly enmeshed family who refuse to allow or accept changes in you regarding the way you want or need to live your life can be grueling and entirely life-changing. I've heard the words, my daughter is dead to me, as perhaps many of you have as well, or son or whomever. It's very sad, and often when I hear the reason, it can make no sense. Of course, we're only hearing about this situation from the son's perspective. And as we were talking about earlier, perspective becomes your reality if you allow it to. And you can forget that your perspective isn't truth. But there would be people who'd argue vehemently with that statement and with me and never listen to self-work again. So goes the world. So the best I can offer this young man is to seek support from others like him and be ready to accept that which he cannot control and then make his very difficult decision. As I intimated before, I'm sure there's a vast amount of information that I don't know about Jordanian culture or the culture of his family. In fact, in doing some brief research on this, I found the term untigering, a term created by the author Iris Chen. She wrote a book about it called Untigering, 
Here's what they say about the book. Iris Chin shares her journey of leaving behind authoritarian tiger parenting to embrace a respectful, relational way of raising children. As a Chinese-American mom, she draws from her experiences of living in both North America and Asia and offers insights and practices to heal from your childhood wounds, change your beliefs about yourself and your children, parent through connection instead of control, redefine your understanding of success, and navigate and challenge cultural norms. So perhaps even reading this book could be helpful to this young man. However, the huge difference here is she's choosing to do this herself. She's unhooking from her own culture and parenting differently. I don't know what happened. Maybe I should read the book. What happened to her relationship with her own parents because of this? I'll have the link to her book in the show notes. So perhaps these ideas will help. Again, the Arab culture is far from the only one where rigid control rules the home. And from another perspective, I'm sure there are advocates for that very rigidity. We have to understand that and be respectful of that. Perhaps that is an idea for this young man as well. He cannot approach in anger and resentment if he doesn't want to insult his father and his family. So he needs to work on more compassion for them and understanding what has made them the way they are. Again, that's what Susan Canoe has done. So hopefully, like minds can help one another. Good luck to all. I want to thank you for being here. Your presence here at Self Work is so meaningful to me. And please tell your friends, even though websites like Very Well Mind and Healthline have shown that the Self Work podcast is one of their top favorites for depression, it really takes you telling your work colleagues whatever about Self Work. I want to remind you again about my work on Meal Mind, M E O M I N D. If you've ever been curious about what therapy might be like with me, you can listen to me and other therapists on MealMind. It's a free app, and you can listen in to different problems, how they're presented, and what therapists might have to say about them. I think it's a great app, MealMind. I want to remind you of Self Work Sundays at 4 o'clock Central Time. I'm trying it out to see what, if any, interest there is. And we have a steady little group who comes in, and then others join us. I'll keep on doing it for a while. Self-Work Sundays at 4 o'clock Central Time. Hope you can join me. You can subscribe at drmargaretrutherford.com and you'll get a free weekly newsletter where you can find my blog post and this podcast with a really easy way of keeping in touch. Thanks again so much for being here. And please take care of yourself, those you love, and your community. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self-Work.